Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Well, once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you with us. Today we're going to begin the highly anticipated three-part series entitled End of Days. And right out of the starting gate, let me give you the goal of the series. What we're after, what we want more than anything else, is for the next three weeks to fill you with encouragement and inspiration. And I'm talking about a great amount. I want to fill your hope tank with some hope and assurance. I mean, I want it to be filled to overflowing. And how many of you could use a little bit extra? I know I sure can. Our world today is filled with so much division, with hopelessness and despair. I mean, we can't even have a football game without fighting about it. And so I want to put a smile on your face. So let me see your best smile right here. Uh, That's how I want you to look throughout the whole service, because I think that we're getting ready for a really powerful time uh, over the next three weeks. And so the entire month of September, I want you to be built up in your most holy faith. Okay, the biblical or Christian doctrine of eschatology or study of end times is a very promising one for the believer because it includes a spectacular future event called the second coming of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 27, Jesus himself said, as lightning shines from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Make no mistake, he's coming back. And Jesus is coming back with power and great glory. And this message of his return should fire the church up. We should be excited about it. And it should bring a tremendous amount of joy and triumph. Once again, for the believer, everything about the return of Jesus is beneficial and profitable. So do me a favor. Do yourself a favor. If in the past, the mere mention or thought of end times created a good deal of fear or dread for you, let's address it right now. I mean, let's deal with this issue head on. Because as you well know, God is not the author of fear. He does not play the fear card. He's not given us the spirit of fear. There's someone else who does that. Do you know who it is? Yeah, Satan, the enemy of our soul, the devil himself. So how about we send him packing this morning? Let's do it together, all right? Let's say this together. Devil, devil, you have no authority in this place. So take a hike. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, 45 years ago, almost to the day in the fall of 1975, I was a rookie in the Detroit Police Department. It was my first year, and I was assigned to working a scout car with a partner that most everyone else refused to work with. And the reason that people disliked the other officers dislike this particular police officer is because he was a holy Joe. Cop by day, preacher by night. I mean, this guy had his own church and he moonlighted on the weekends, preaching the gospel message and getting people saved. 
And when I first started working with him, like just about all the other guys, it didn't take me long to develop a great disdain for this guy because he just wouldn't shut up about Jesus. That's all he ever talked about. Jesus this and Jesus that. And his famous saying, his, his favorite words that he would say to me countless times during the day, Rhea, what the gun and the badge can't do, our Lord Jesus Christ can. And he would just repeat that all the time. And keep in mind, I wasn't a believer back then. I was not a Christian. In fact, if you knew me, you would probably have concluded I was the guy that would never get saved. I mean, I had some major attitude with a huge chip on my shoulder. And on several occasions, I let this guy have it. I mean, both barrels. I attempted to humiliate him. But you know what? He just wouldn't give up. And he wouldn't shy away from the gospel message. And every day that we worked together, he came with a different angle. He came with a little sermonette that he had planned. And I could tell he did his homework. And I was forced to sit in that scout car for the entire shift and listen to him talk to me about his Lord and Savior. And so I refused to engage him in any conversation. When he talked about the Bible, I just gave him the silent treatment. But one day when he came to work, as we were getting into the scout car, I could just tell he had a little extra jump in his step. I mean, he was excited about starting the shift. And as we drove off from the precinct, before we even had a chance to make our first radio run, he pulled his little pocket-sized New Testament out, and he opened it up, and he got in preacher form, and he said, did you know that the Bible says that there's some people that are never going to die? Some, some people are not going to taste death. And even though I refused to talk to him about Bible verses, when he made that statement, that's when I looked him right in the eye and said, now I know you're crazy, because if there's one thing consistent in this world, everybody dies, no exceptions. We all go to meet our maker. And then he thumbed through his little New Testament, came to the place in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. Here's what it says. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Not a well-known story, but something that's hidden, something that's difficult to understand, a mystery. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, or we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. When he read that, I said, give me that book. <laughs> and I looked at it for myself because I had respect for the Bible. Didn't read it, didn't do what it said, but I respected it. And I read it right there in black and white. Then he flipped over to a passage of scripture in 1 Thessalonians that talks about the rapture of the church, something I had never heard about before. And guess what happened? He hooked me. He hooked me like a big fish. Because of his diligence and his courage, because of his prayers and his faithfulness, for just a nanosecond, one billionth of a second, God tossed a little grace my way and he opened my blind eyes and softened my hardened heart. God used the subject of end times, what's going to happen in the days to come in order to pique my interest and grab my attention. And just a short time later, I was saved, radically saved. My life turned upside down. 
And friend, whenever I share this testimony, whenever I even think about it or talk about it, I have to fight to hold back the tears. Because right now I just want to fall down on my knees and thank God for his amazing grace. Do you know that salvation is a gift? It's a gift from God. And you thank the Lord that your heart was open to the gospel message. Now, with everything that's been happening in our world over the past six or seven months, with the worldwide pandemic, the political hate wars, the protests and all the civil unrest, many, many people have asked me, Pastor, is this the beginning of the end? Do you think that Jesus is going to return in our lifetime? And before you laugh or make light of it, from my perspective, it's a valid question. It's a valid question because we're seeing and experiencing some things we have never experienced before. That's why everybody's using the word unprecedented. There's no precedent for it. We haven't heard it before. We haven't seen it before. And so the question becomes, the legitimate question, is it possible? Is it possible here in 2020 that we are witnessing signs of the end times, the beginning of trouble that Jesus said would signal his return? Well, in order to answer those kinds of questions, the first thing we have to do is to determine what the Bible has to say about Jesus' return. I mean, the stories and the theories floating around about the second coming of Jesus, are they just traditional stories? Are they just the kinds of things that generations pass from one to the other? Or is there scriptural backing? Do the Bible pages reveal a second coming of Jesus? Well, let's take a look at a few verses. The first one in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 and 11. This passage takes place 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They, that would be the disciples, were looking intently up into the sky as he was going up, when suddenly two men, these would be angels, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky with that deer in the headlights look? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back, do what? Will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. I mean, could it be any clearer than this? The angels said to the disciples, Jesus is coming back. They spelled it out. They made this very clear. And check it out. The disciples believed the angels. And they lived their lives believing that Jesus' return could take place at any moment. In fact, this was the very truth that fueled their passion and their devotion for the gospel message. It's what caused most of them to become martyrs. All right, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. That's, why, that's the reason he came to planet earth in the first place. He came to earth as a man to go to the cross and die there for the sins of the world, for my sins and for your sins. So the Hebrew writer says, Christ was offered once, the first time he came, to bear the sins of many, and to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a... Second time, coming back a second time. 
Titus chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. The grace of God teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, right now, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, the second coming of Jesus is not just a tradition or a theory. It's our blessed hope. It's the church's greatest and most anticipated crown jewel. It is the icing on the cake. And so now that we establish that the Bible does talk about the second coming of Jesus, that it does establish with good doctrine and good sound teaching that Jesus is coming back a second time, the next question we need to answer, are we living in the last days? So let's go back to the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7 says, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind. 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 3 and 4 says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, in the what? In the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. You put these two verses together, written by the same author, the Apostle Peter, and here's what he basically says. The last days and the end of all days is near. So we are living in the last days. Peter challenges us and says, don't be like everyone else. Don't let doubt and uncertainty, your own opinion or your own ideas deceive you. Don't think, well, you know, it's been a long time. The very same way, and, and generation after generation has predicted the second coming of Jesus, but it hasn't happened, so it's probably not going to happen. Peter says, don't be like that, but be sober, be ready, always be waiting and, and, and understand we are living in the time period called the last days. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19 says, dear children, this is the last hour. I mean, these verses are real plain. This is the last hour, and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, or the spirit of Antichrist is in the world. This is how we know it is the last hour. One more. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days... In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Please understand, based on these few verses that I've shared with you and many more in the scripture, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the dispensation called the last days or the last hour represents a period of time or a season of time that will usher in the return of Jesus. No one knows how long that period is going to last. And it's been going on for quite a long time now, since the time of Jesus. But from the scripture, it is absolutely clear to me that we are living in the last days. These are the last days. That doesn't mean that Jesus is going to return today or tomorrow. We're not predicting that he's coming back this year or next year or in 100 years. But it does mean that it's possible 
That's what the scripture is trying to communicate to us, that it's possible. And as believers, we have to live with this kind of mindset. We should be spiritually ready at all times for what God is planning to do next. And two weeks from today, in lesson number three of this series, Pastor Chris is going to tell us what that means. How to live a life worthy of our calling. How to be a victorious believer. How to be uh, the kind of church member that God has called us to be in this dispensation of time called the last days or the end days. I can't wait for that message. All right, let's talk about the second coming of Jesus. How many of you want to hear about that? The, the second coming of Jesus. Uh, some of you might be surprised by this statement, might even come as a shock to you, uh, but the rapture of the church is not the same as the second coming of Jesus. I'm going to say it again. The rapture of the church is not the second coming of Jesus. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. And if that last statement was a little confusing for you, I'm hoping to clear that up. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself, who would that be? Jesus. Yeah, no trick question. Just, you know, shout it out. The Lord Jesus himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. All right, what is this passage describing? It's describing the rapture of the church, a time when Jesus is going to come for his bride. And the scripture is very clear. It says, we are going up to meet the Lord in the air. And what follows the rapture is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And remember, I just told you a few moments ago, this is the very passage I hang my salvation on. This is one of two verses that the Lord used to open my heart to the gospel message in the first place. And during this event known as the rapture, the group of Christ followers who are on the earth at that time, those who are alive when the rapture takes place, they will not experience death. They won't taste death. They will not know what it's like to die a physical death. This group of people, they will be caught up, they will be received into the heavenlies in the exact same way that Elijah the prophet was. Remember, he rode a chariot of fire up into the heavens. We won't need a vehicle, not even a magic carpet. We're just going straight up. And during the rapture, all those who have put their trust in Jesus, those who have confessed the Lord Jesus, uh, the Lordship of Jesus, those who have surrendered their lives to him, dead and alive, they will suddenly be taken out of the world. We will go to an undisclosed place with Jesus and be safe with him for seven years during which time there will be great tribulation, tribulation and great tribulation on the earth. And I'm talking about seven years of trouble this world has never seen before. And all during those seven years of untold suffering and affliction on the earth, the church or the bride will be in the presence of the bridegroom, enjoying his company, celebrating. It's going to be like a seven-year party for all the believers 
And a verse of scripture that comes to mind is 2 Corinthians 2.9. It's not in the notes. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man, the mind of man, the imagination of man, the great things that God has planned for those who love him. He's prepared some great things for us. He really has. Your sacrifice here on earth is not in vain. When you make a commitment to the Lord, there is a promise of a seven-year blissful time in the presence of our bridegroom. And then after that seven-year time frame, after the seven-year tribulation period, that's when the second coming of Jesus will take place. The second coming will follow those seven years of tribulation and trouble. His homecoming comes after the seven, not before. Now here's the tricky part. According to equally acceptable interpretations of the eschatology doctrine, which is the doctrine of end times, some Christians don't identify with a pre-tribulation rapture like I just described to you, which means that the church will be raptured or taken out of the earth before the tribulation. Some believers feel as though the scriptures support a mid-tribulation rapture. Now, the words that the church will be raptured or taken out of the trouble midway through the tribulation, like, say, three and a half years. We're not done yet because we can't agree on anything because there's yet a third group of people. And there might be four, five, six, or seven, but this is the main one. Uh, there's some Christians, a group of them, that believe the rapture is going to take place following the tribulation or after the seven, year of seven years of trouble. So that means the church will go through all the trouble and be here for the entire uh, seven-year tribulation period, not only the tribulation, the first three and a half years, but also the great tribulation, which is the second three and a half. So three and a half and three and a half, that's seven years of tribulation. And again, these are three different views, pre-, mid-, and post-tribulation, and they're all valid. All three are acceptable, and you can find biblical support for all three. You search through the scriptures, you can make a case for all three of them. And over the past several weeks, ever since we announced the end of day series coming up, many of you have asked me, whether in person or through emails, what do I think? When it comes to pre, mid, or trib, what is my personal opinion? And I'll have you know, my entire Christian life, for the past 45 years, ever since I heard about the rapture of the church, I have always leaned toward a post-tribulation rapture. That's what I believed in. I believed that the church was going to go through the seven years of tribulation. And again, it wasn't something that I had 100% confidence in. It wasn't like the Lord revealed it to me or I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. It just was my viewpoint. Of the three that I just described to you, that was the one that impressed me the most as being the most scriptural. And the reason why I believe that is because I'm thinking, hey, you know, we're the church. Come on, let's, get a, let's be a part of the action. If we're going to do anybody any good, let's roll up our sleeves and let's go to work. And I always felt as though the Lord would protect us even though the Bible spells out some really ugly times during those seven years of tribulation, we're going to talk about that next week, even though it 
tells us it's going to get really bad. Always felt like God would be there to watch over us and protect us. That's what he did for the children of Israel back in the book of Exodus. When the ten plagues totally dismantled and destroyed and devastated the land of Egypt, God kept the people safe. They were on the earth when the plagues came. They didn't go anywhere. But God built around them a supernatural Psalm 91 shield. And they were protected from the trouble. They didn't experience any loss. They didn't experience the devastation. God was there to protect them. And so I simply concluded that as the church was going through the tribulation time, God would do the same thing for us. He would once again reveal himself as Jehovah Nissi, our protector, our banner, the one who covers us and watches over us. And again, I held to that exact same view and perspective for 45 years and refused to be bumped off of it. And I've listened to countless sermons. I've been engaged in multiple discussions with some really sharp and knowledgeable people. I've read books. I've researched the scriptures. I spent a lot of prayer, a lot of time praying about this subject. And still, I just couldn't work my way past a post-tribulation rapture. That's what I have felt. That's what I believe for the last 45 years. Until about three months ago. <laughs> After all that time. Back in June of this year, for the first time in 45 years, my position has changed, and now I am a huge fan of a pre-tribulation rapture. So thank you for your prayers if you've been praying along that way. And I'm going to explain to you the reason for the change in just a minute, but I want to go on the record. I want you to hear me say this. It's my opinion. It's all it is. It's not fact. It's not gospel. It's my opinion. But check this out. If my opinion changed once, guess what? It's possible that it could change again. With this particular subject matter, I refuse to be dogmatic. It's just not worth fighting or arguing about. It's my opinion. That's all it is. Now, I have you know, my change in perspective is not just wishful thinking. I really believe that the Spirit of the Lord prompted this new direction in my heart. And it was birthed out of what I saw taking place on our nation's city streets during the recent civil unrest. And the word that just kept coming back to me over and over again, I just couldn't shake it, I couldn't let it get out of my heart or out of my mind, is the word lawless. L-A-W-L-E-S-S, lawless. That's what I witnessed. A calloused, heartless, and merciless mindset and I'm talking about a frightful arrogance and a defiant disregard for anything wholesome and good. And friend, please believe me when I tell you, I've been on the other side of the tracks. I've seen some things. I've experienced humanity at its worst on so many different fronts and levels. But this was different. What I saw in the spirit realm, was so ugly. It was pure evil. And when talking about signs of the end times, in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12, here's what Jesus said, because of the increase in wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. 
Do you know that phrase, grow cold? Do you know what that means? It means to die. It means to evaporate and dissipate. I mean, what happens to the body when the life is gone? It grows cold. The New American Standard says, because of lawlessness, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. You see, lawlessness will suck the life and love out of any society and out of every world. That's exactly what we're witnessing right now. We're witnessing lost love, love that has diminished. And do you know who in the Bible is identified by this same spirit, a spirit of lawlessness? It's the Antichrist or Satan's puppet. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come, the day being the second coming of Jesus. Paul said that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. You see, this man that Paul's talking about is the Antichrist. And he said, don't let anyone deceive you, and I don't care what they say and how convincing they might be, the second coming of Jesus has not occurred yet. It hasn't happened, and it will not happen until this man of lawlessness is revealed. And I know we've had some pretty ugly people on our earth uh, in the past generations. Some evil people that have done some really bad things. But not to this degree just yet. Not this caliber of evil have we witnessed. A few verses later in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 9 and 10, Paul goes on to say the coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be in accordance with how Satan works. This is totally demonic. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie in all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Friends, take this for what it's worth. Back in June, as I watched the violence unfold in American cities across the United States, as I witnessed practical and spiritual lawlessness, physical lawlessness in the streets, what I'll describe as the spirit of Antichrist, I sensed as though the Lord got my attention and whispered to me, and he said to me, Pastor, it's going to get a lot worse than this, but I will not subject the church to it. I will deliver you. And this little spiritual exchange that I had with God at that time was so dynamic and significant, it bumped me off my 45-year train. And I interpreted what God said to mean a pre-tribulation rapture. I mean, that's how special this little moment was with God. I sincerely believed the Lord was impressing upon my heart that this is something he would do. And right after that happened, a few short weeks later, I was reading through some very familiar portion of scripture, scriptures that I have read over and over again. And this time as I read them, I looked at the verses differently and they came alive in a different way. 
Luke chapter 17, verses 26 through 30. You've read this, you probably memorized this. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same way in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It would be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Now, in the past, when I've read these verses or when I've even preached on them, I've typically focused in on those receiving the judgment. And my whole point is people wake up. In Noah's day, and again in Lot's day, the people had no clue what was coming. And when the judgment came, when the destruction came, it took them by surprise. And so the appeal here, the lesson here, is for unbelievers to make the necessary changes they have to make in order to avoid the judgment. But this last time that I read these verses, uh, I did something different. I don't know why. Same verses. But on this occasion, I was drawn to Noah and to Lot. And not to the people on the receiving end of the judgment. Because when, when you read that, and you think about those who are getting judged, it can get scary. But now I was thinking about Noah, and I was thinking about Lot. Not the people that suffered from the flood or from the fire, but rather those two godly men. I looked at those two men. And the Bible specifically said that the judgment didn't come until after they were taken away, after Noah entered the ark, and after Lot left the city, that's when the trouble happened. And that's exactly what verse 30 says. Luke chapter 17 and verse 30. You've got to see it in a different light. Here's what he said. When Jesus comes, that's exactly what's going to happen on the day Jesus is revealed. And so when Jesus comes in the clouds to claim his bride, it's after we meet the Lord in the air. It's after we get out of Dodge. It's after we leave the trouble. That's when all heck breaks loose. And this is confirmed in Luke chapter 21, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. News flash, good news. With the pre-tribulation rapture, we won't be on the earth at that time. We're going to be gone. Do you have any idea how much of a blessing and hope-filled message this really is? Are you feeling it? Some of the verses that probably scared you in the past, some of those that caused a bunch of dread because we're just human and we like to compare ourselves and analyze how good we are. But the scripture is clear. Jesus is going to rescue us from the trouble. And if, in fact, we're living in the last days, which I believe we are, in the time period called the last days, and if, in fact, increased lawlessness and evil is around the corner, and I believe it is, how reassuring is it that we will not be here for the ugliness of all that trouble, but that God will indeed perform a rescue? And all of this recent talk about there being an economic collapse and financial disasters and the ongoing, endless 
conversations about forced vaccinations and having to take the mark of the beast. We don't have to worry about it because we're not going to be here. It starts after the rapture of the church. So don't allow the news media or all of these different prophetic videos that you watch from time to time or that people send to you from time to time, don't let it fill you with dread and fear. This is a hope-filled message, the second coming of Jesus. The end of days for the church is a powerful one. It's one that should get us super excited and fired up. The big question really is, are you spiritually ready? Are you ready? Have you done the necessary things that you need to do to make sure that the next step is going to be favorable for you? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Have you bowed your knee at the cross and confessed with your own lips that Jesus Christ is Lord? Because when that happens, there's a promise in the scripture that your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And that's what you want more than anything else in this whole wide world. Your whole life, that's the one thing you want to do is to make sure your name is written in that book. Because that's huge. It makes you part of the church. Not Community Christian Church. The Church of Jesus Christ. I'm going to wind down here in a minute or two. And Phil and the team, they're going to come back and they're going to lead us in a closing song. It's the same song that we sang earlier during the worship set. And I believe it's really going to have new meaning for you. It's going to be a, a hope builder for you. It'll, it'll help you. And remember, that's the goal of this series. That's what we want to do. We want to fill you full of hope and peace and assurance. But here's what I want you to consider in these closing moments. And the operative word being you. You. Not the person next to you, not your neighbor, not a family member, not a friend, not your spouse. You. Are you spiritually prepared for whatever might happen next? If God were to call the angels and say it's time, it's the moment of truth, the tipping point, the fulfillment of everything that I've spoken prophetically. Are you prepared to make your way into eternity? And as Jim already said uh, verbal, verbally, loudly, he is. Many others are as well, and that's great. You know, you want to raise your hand and say in the affirmative, yeah, I'm ready. I, you weren't born ready, but you're ready now. Some of you can answer that question, yes. In fact, to the question, are you spiritually ready to meet your maker, some of you would say, no, I'm not, or maybe I don't know. But that's some business we could take care of today. It doesn't have to happen next week or at the end of the series or next month or at the beginning of the new year. It can happen right now. We can make sure that you are ready and prepared for whatever happens in our world next. Can I just get you to bow your heads for a moment? I mentioned earlier that God doesn't play the fear card. I don't either. I know some pastors do. They, they use this message to try and leverage people to make decisions for Christ. I mean, our humanity tells us we should probably get right. And I would say that's a pretty good logic. 
If you've not yet made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've not fully surrendered your life to him, you might want to think about doing it. And there's no better time to do it than right now. The Spirit of the Lord is in this place. He's moving among us. The scripture tells us that he's been waiting because it is God's desire that everyone on the face of the whole earth finds salvation. Did you know that? That's what God wants more than anything else. He loves all of us. Everyone. Even the ones that have lost control right now. And so I'm wondering if you're here, maybe someone invited you for this series, maybe you're listening online because someone sent you an invitation. You've never made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, or maybe you have, but you know you need to get back to that right place with God. And you want to make sure that you're ready and right for what's next. Could I just get you to raise your hand? Appreciate that hand. Thank you. Any others? Don't be, thank you. Don't be afraid. You can put it right up. Thank, thank you. You can put it right back down. Thank you. Appreciate that hand. Anyone online? Anyone listening, watching? hearing this message after the fact, it still works three weeks from today, next year. Appreciate your hands. I'm going to lead you in a short prayer. Could everybody just repeat this after me? Dear God, thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into the world the first time to die on the cross for my sins. That's right, for my sins. Today I come to the cross. I repent of my sins. I surrender my heart to Jesus. And I confess with my own lips that Jesus Christ is not only Lord of all, he's my Lord. Father, I fully embrace the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I make it my own and I ask you to lead me each and every step of the way. Thank you, Lord. Father, receive these commitments, these first-time salvations, Lord. Maybe those who didn't raise their hand, those who were too embarrassed, Lord, if we made a commitment to you a while back, if as believers we've strayed from that place of being so on fire for you, living our lives with this truth in the forefront of our minds, Lord, I pray that we could make our way back to serving you passionately with full devotion. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the earth today. Thank you that we have the promise of eternity, but until that day, Lord, we have some work to do right now. And Lord, we want to be the church. I thank you for those that you've brought into the kingdom today. Pray your blessing upon each one. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.